0: christmas isaiah 9 6 to 7 you ready isaiah 9 6 to 7 remember when i asked you the question and it was kind of a trick question so it wasn't fair and remember you're on video you're being live streamed, so be careful if you answer it how many gospels in the bible ah you remembered five five i got a hand in the back five so isaiah theologians call isaiah the fifth gospel why it is so messianic It is so rooted in the promises of the coming Messiah. So we're back in Isaiah again this week. okay? And we're going to look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Something that we need to know. The efforts to reconcile the human and the divine nature of Jesus have resulted in a number of classic and historic misinterpretations. And let me give you something that's very important for you to know. How do we interpret Scripture? There's lots of ways that we do that. But what's the number one way of interpreting Scripture? And you'll see it again this morning. Scripture interprets Scripture. You come to Scripture first to ask the question, what, what does this mean? What was the intent of the author to the original audience in which it was written to and now to us 2,000 years later? Okay? So we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at it starting in this passage here, and we're going to look at a few errors, and hopefully clear them up. Isaiah 9, 6-7, hear now the word of God. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it, with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And may God add His rich blessing to His inspired and errant and fallible aboard. Let's pray together. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning. Everyone by divine appointment. Everyone in their assigned seats. Even if they move. You have ordained all things whatsoever shall come to pass. Father, we'd ask that this day you would make it a word of salvation for the unsaved. Comfort. For those in storm winds and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people that all within the sound of my voice would be in a saving relationship with Christ. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Jesus. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Before I give you the three headings, I want to just go back over this, these, these, these titles. These are four royal names that express the humanity and the the divinity of of Jesus. Too much to unpack. You could spend weeks and weeks and months on, on these titles. They're in the passage. We're not focusing on that. We're focusing on the beginning. The child born and the son given. But you should be aware that this is what really leads us into the understanding that this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. He is the Wonderful Counselor. He is the Mighty God. These are royal titles for Him. He is the Everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. So all of that brings us to the conclusion in Isaiah seven fourteen that He is Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? So now, under the heading, The How of Christmas, how did all of this come together? We're going to look at three things. Number one, a child is born. Number two, a son is given. And number three, most importantly, to you? Is this child born and this son given to you? Let me make a point before we go any further. If you're not familiar with the phrase, and I I don't use big phrases because I don't ever understand them. A very simple man. But there is a phrase. It's called tautology. And what that phrase means Spurgeon preached on it in this passage. And he said in this passage, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There is no tautology there, which means there's no needless repetition. It is very easy to read that passage and think it says the same thing. Yes, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's all the same thing. It's just repetition in this. No, it is not. It is not needless repetition. It is not a tautology, as if you would say scarlet tomato. You wouldn't need to use both terms. There is a distinct difference and distinction in both of those phrases, and we're going to unpack them. And that's how we come to the deep understanding of the true nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, his humanity and his divinity. For truly a child was born, and truly a son was given. Okay, you ready? We're going to head out into some deep water, deep, and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, a child is born. Here's the humanity of Jesus. We have to deal with an error. And again, it's just a term. I'll give you the term, but I'll explain to you what it means, and it'll be very simple. We're not going to make it a seminary class. Deucetism is the term from the second century, from the Greek word dokesis. And all it simply means is that it seems like he had a body. You ever been to the Magic Kingdom? You've been in the Haunted Mansion? You go in the cars and you go around and what do you see? You see those spirits floating around and dancing around and all that stuff going on? It seems like they have a body, but they really don't. They're, they're just, they're, they're apparitions, they're, they're phantoms. That's what this era believed. Jesus only appeared to have a body. He was not incarnate. Why? The key, the key in understanding this is the key in really understanding the issues then and the issues today. Why do some of the religious worldviews believe what they believe today? That the goal is to escape what? Matter. Because matter is inherently evil. So the ultimate goal in this life is to do what? To get to the other side. To get out of the physical body, get out of the physical world, and get into the spiritual realm. Do we believe that? Of course not. Why? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and all things were created what? Very good. Matter is not inherently evil. But it's, it, it, it's broken. It's become that because of what we've done. But God is making all things new. So there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Would you, would you be excited? Imagine this was your belief. That he didn't have a physical body. That you were going to finish this life. Escape into eternity as a spiritual being. Floating on a cloud. Strumming a celestial harp. Forever and ever world without end. Amen. Oh, my, I'd have no interest in that. None at all. That's not the promise of the gospel. He rose bodily from the grave for a reason. He could have simply rose spiritually, but that's not what it was. He said, what? Touch me. P- put, put your finger in the nail prints. And then the key, the great key was what? Because this excites me for someone who likes to eat as much as I do. Am I alone? I don't think so, but I love to eat. What did he say? Give me. Do you have something to eat? We're going to eat in glory. Oh, I can't wait. And I bet they got chips and salsa, Brian. They got to have it. They got to have chips and salsa. They got to have it. I know they do. So he's he's not this phantom that, no, 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 no. Rejected in the Council of Nicaea 325. Just a little tidbit for you. What's the D point? If if they're true, if it's true, deucetism is true, then what do you not have? you do not have a cross and you do not have a resurrection you have no faith you shouldn't be here today so this is an error that needed to be corrected and it was in the council of nicaea he was truly human couple scripture verses and then we'll go to the next one john 1:14 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelt tabernacled tabernacled remember the tabernacle in the old testament that's what this word is He is the true tabernacle. You don't now go to a place to meet God. Yes, we come for corporate worship. We understand that the reason for that and why God has ordained that for his people to come. But the true tabernacle is Jesus. And he took on flesh. Now we're going to see three things. He's a descendant of the woman, of Abraham, and of David. Ready? Number one. Prophecy. Genesis 3.15. This prophecy, by the way, comes before the curse. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, the seed and her seed, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Why is this really profound? You have to ask a question. That's the third chapter of the entire book of the Bible. Why is that profound? You have to ask the woman. Not that woman, but this woman, these women. Do you have a seed? No, of course you don't. So where are you getting the seed from? You have to get it from a man. Where is she getting it from? not a man it's a capital s on high who's the seed jesus do you see how profound that is that's easily missed especially if you're reading a different translation and that's not in there i had to put that in there for you You got to go back to the king james version to pull that out there's a seed and that seed comes from on high and that seed is jesus her seed which she has no seed inherent her seed will crush the head of the serpent that's the lord jesus so now the fulfillment of the prophecy Galatians 4.4. 4. Ready? We preached it last week, so we'll just hit it today. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. A descendant of the woman Eve. Yes? Moving on. He was also a descendant of Abraham. You ever get to the place in the scriptures where you're reading those genealogies and you go, Oh, come on, I'm not alone. Well, I don't do that anymore, but I did it for a long time, and I used to pass them by. I just skipped through them. Not anymore. Why? This, these are faith strengtheners. You can't make this stuff up. So we have to see what? We've got to see the line. The promise was given to you in the eternal council, spoken to the serpent. Moses records it in Genesis 3.15. But the promise for the people come under Abraham. So now we have to see Jesus as a descendant of Abraham. Ready? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. What's the fulfillment? Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There it is. Finally, he's a descendant of David. Okay? We have to establish that he's fully human. Why, why? Oh, it'll be a little deeper next week. But why is that critical? Remember, the angels had fallen. He doesn't come as a spirit. He doesn't come as an angel. He didn't come to redeem the angels. He came to redeem whom? You. Humanity. That's why he had to take on humanity and be fully man. Finally, David, as a descendant, let's take a look. Prophecy, Second Samuel 7, 12, and 13. I will raise up, in, up your offspring to succeed you. Now, all of this can sound like Solomon, yes? But you have to be careful. So it's easy to misinterpret this. Watch. Who will come from your own body? Okay, I get that, Solomon. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Oh, Solomon built it. David didn't. David was a man of war. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That there eliminates whom? Solomon. Solomon isn't established on the throne forever. It eliminates David. It go back further, it eliminates who? Abraham. Go back further, it eliminates who? Adam and Eve. Who does it get you to? The promised Messiah in the eternal council of the triune God, Jesus, the Messiah, had been promised. His throne of his kingdom is established forever and ever and ever. That is the fulfillment. Through the line of David, through the line of Abraham, all the way back to Adam, Jesus becomes what? The greater Solomon, the greater David, the greater Abraham, the greater A- Adam. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, pointing to the fullness of time. Okay? So we're clear on that. Let me give you a great quote from a great mind, John Calvin. And this should be a comfort to you. Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Why, why should that be comforting? That's why we have to be very careful on how we preach the whole counsel of God. Do you know how many people came to me just during the Christmas special... They had been kind of dragged here by somebody who invited them to come. I really didn't want to go. I just lost my father. I just lost my wife. I just had this happen in my life. Hearts that were broken. And they were blessed and they were ministered to. All of our hearts are burdened with something. And if you're not in the middle of a mess right now, just give it a little more time. How many times have I said to you, right, there's only three stations in life. One is you're in the middle of a storm. Two, you're coming out of the storm. Three, you're going back in the storm. That's it. So what difference does it make that he put on our feelings? We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. He understands your aches and pains and hurts. Look at what they did to him. This should be a comfort to you. Imagine if you had a God. Think about it. Imagine if you had a God that just lived on high somewhere. No connection at all to you. That's a comfort? That that ministers to your heart that's broken? No. You know, when people ask me, just just an important point, and and hopefully it's helpful to you. I'm talking about a significant loss now and a a sudden loss unexpected loss and i'm asked this question pastor i, I don't i don't understand how, how do you, why why would god let this happen why my response is the same all the time i don't know why but i know what it cannot be it cannot be that he doesn't love you and the cross shows you that truth i don't know why but i know what it's not it's not that he doesn't love you and he sent his son to a cross to demonstrate that. Christ has put on our feelings and our flesh. Passage, a couple points, and we go to number two. Jesus grew. He can't grow as God. He can't grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He can't, unless he's what? Fully man. So a few points. Jesus also grew tired and weary. Anybody tired and weary here? He grew hungry and thirsty. He grew sorrowful and troubled in his spirit. This is the experience of all of us. Here's the key. Jesus is fully man to save our manhood fully. Got it? Okay. Number two. Here's another error. We have errors on both sides of the ledger. The first error says he's a ghost. Likened to those at the haunted mansion. That's it. Now we're going to have another error. He's not a ghost. He really was a man. But he was created man. He he, he was created as the son of God. He's not eternally self-existent. Check this one out. This is important that we correct. Arianism is the title. Arius was a priest in Alexandria in the 4th century. And it was their belief and understanding that the Son of God did not always exist, but was begotten. You've got to start that word. Got to. You'll see what I'm going to talk about in a moment. But was begotten within time by God the Father. The key word is, is and it's, it, I'm not going to unpack all of it, but it's, it's, it's monogenes. And what it's talking about here is there's a unique aspect of this son that has been begotten. But not literally begotten, that the father created the son. But it's talking about a special relationship between the father and the son. And I'm going to show that to you in scripture. So this error, Arianism, was rejected by the first council of Nicaea 325. And they said, no, 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 no. He is not a created being. If he's a created being, then he isn't God. You can't have him as God. Call him anything you want, but he's not God if he's not eternal. And what did Jesus say all throughout Scripture? No, he never said, I am God. But what did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. Before Abraham was, I am. Over and over and over and over. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything that he says, he makes it clear that he's God. So he, can't be a, he cannot be a created being. Now, there are denominations that believe this. And I'm not going to mention any of them. But if this has ever happened to you, and I won't mention the denomination. I used to keep the door closed. Not anymore. Man, I open that door up and say, come on in. Because what they're going to do is they're going to explain to me why they believe Jesus to be the Son of God. But the Son of God that has been created, not eternally self-existent. And I say, well, riddle me this, Batman. And I open the book. Same book. And we go down the scripture. Ready? This is how you do it. It's really simple. Watch this. This is really good. Prophecy, Psalm 2-7. And then you're going to see it come to life in the New Testament. Right? you got to put it all together. One word from one God to one people. There's one word that runs all the way through Scripture from in the beginning to amen at the end. A single strand of truth that finds its fulfillment in what? God's unfolding plan of redemption, finding its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch the prophecy, but understand what it's about. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. I have become... Begotten would be a better term. If you go to the King James Version of John 3.16, His only begotten Son. So what have they done? What, what, what has Arianism done? What, what have those who believe in that truth? They have twisted that word to, to make it something it is not. They misunderstand what that word is trying to teach us. That word in the Hebrew and in the Greek means to bring forth. To come out of, not literally to have been created, but to bring forth. And this passage here is specific to something that happened to Jesus. You know what it is? The resurrection. That's what this passage is speaking of. Jesus has become what? The day that he walked out of the grave, what was he? The first fruits. Today you, have become, today you have begotten, I have begotten you as your father. Today, the day that you've come out of the grave, and I'm going to show it to you in the New Testament. You ready? Don't miss this. And let me make this clear. This, this one verse has been ammunition for false teachers since the 4th century. This one right here. Don't be afraid to open. Take them to this, and then take them here. Acts 13. I'm telling you, you can't make this up. But God raised him from the dead. I guess we're talking about the resurrection, but that still doesn't connect me to Psalm 2-7 yet. And for many days he had been seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, solomon What he promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. Ready for this? As it is written in the second Psalm. I didn't write this in here. This is in your book. You are my son today. I have become your father. Begotten of the father. Do you see it? we clear? It's the resurrection. It's not a created being. He's eternally self-existent. Romans 1, four, And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Building on that, Matthew 3.17 And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, what do we hear? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then Peter confirms what happened. Remember Peter, James, and John were on the mountain with Jesus. Peter confirms it. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory. Saying, this is my son. You see how it all fits? Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So this is making something perfectly clear that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, we'll give you a great quote from Charles Spurgeon. You ready? Prince of preachers from the 1800s. Listen to these words. This is profound. I could have stayed up all night. For the rest of my life and two more lives, I never came up with words like this. Check this out. The doctrine of the eternal affiliation of Christ is to be received as an undoubted truth. But, to, but as to any explanation of it, no man should venture thereon. For it remains among the deep things of God. One of those solemn mysteries into which the angels dare not look, nor do they desire to pry into it. A mystery which we must not attempt to fathom, for it is beyond the grasp of any finite being. He understood who he was. And he was a giant intellect. Now here's the best portion of any quote I've ever read. And guess who the gnat is? As well might a gnat seek to drink in the ocean... ...as a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. Some things you just don't get to figure out. Why? A God whom we could understand would be no God. If we could grasp Him, He could not be infinite. If we could understand Him, He would not be divine. Enough said? So those who keep trying to pry into this and try to come to their own conclusions are silly and foolish there's a point where you have to get to in your life no matter how giant your intellect must be you have to remember a couple things about your intellect no matter how giant it is it's still messed up right it's still broken no matter how giant it is it's a giant mess so even when you th- think you got it right and, and maybe you do have it right you don't have all of it right and what we're all going to learn is when we get to the other side all of us had some of it wrong say that one more time. All of us had some of it wrong. And some of us had a whole lot of it wrong. And either way, when we have it right, we got it all messed up. Because the mind is messed up. So let God be God. Don't pry into things that you have no business prying into. We receive it as an undoubted fact of our faith. I don't know any more than that. He's fully God. And he's fully man. And I praise him for that. That's all I need to know. So where do we go from there on this? (coughs) The question is this. To you? (coughs) Excuse me. Has a child been born and a son given to you? Let me show you who this son is not born and given to. There is somebody that this child is not born or given to. (coughs) Excuse me. Luke 18. We'll go to the Luke chapter where the Pharisee and the tax collector are. I'm going to show you the guy he's not born to. And I'm going to show you why. It's real simple why he's not born or given to this man. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. How do we know that this man, this, the, the child, is not born or given to him? How do we know? He has no need for the child. He has no need for the child born or the son given. Why? He has saved himself. How do we know? He's made it clear. He's thanking God that he's not like you, other men. And then he tells God all the things he's done in order to broker God's favor. I have already earned my place in eternal life. I don't need a child born or a son given. I already do all of these things. That's for other people. So this son is not born or given him. Why? His self-righteous heart cannot beat for anything other than himself so if you see no need what's the great line before you get people saved you have to get them what got to get them lost they have to know there's something wrong and i think inherently everybody does when i'm speaking to unbelieving skeptics and 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 they'll say to me there's a great there's here's one for you pastor pastor you tell me this is this is the only way jesus says i'm the way that you're telling me all this jesus way truth and life is the only way it's got to be another way the pastor's got to be another way i said ah you got me you got me oh and their eyes get real big. oh i got him there is another way i didn't know you'd get me there but there is what is it what is it and i lean in just be perfect <laughs> huh. well nobody's perfect that's the point That's the point. That's the other way. Well then no, but that's the point. You need somebody who was. Without that you don't get in. Perfection can't receive imperfection. So perfect God the Father sends perfect God the Son to live a perfect sinless life to die in our place. So this guy can't receive this child. He doesn't need him. Who receives him? Check him out. Who this son is given to and born to. But the tax collector. Who's the tax I hope I have a whole room full of tax collectors. I can see some of them for sure. But the tax, remember they were despised and hey they were, they were, uh. But he stood at the, di- he couldn't even stand up right there like the Pharisee. And he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat, he smote upon his breast and he cried out, God, be merciful to me, the, in the original language the word is the, not a. I'm not just a sinner, I'm the sinner, I'm the guy, I'm in, I'm I'm the worst that could possibly be. What does he not do? He doesn't parade his good works before God. He doesn't thank God, he's not like other men. What does he say? I have no hope unless you're merciful to me. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And how does Jesus end that parable? I tell you. That man. The one on his face before God. Not that man standing up. Shouting. I thank the God!" That man went home. Saved. To that man. A child was born. To that man. A son was given. Why? Because he cried out. In need of a child born and a son given how do we close well i think it's simple for unto us a child is born why is it good news that he's fully human and that there will be a resurrection of the body it's good news if you it's i'll just be it's good news to me why I can't wait to get rid of this mess. This is you know people say to me all the time they see me getting up and down off of the the the, the pulpit and they go like oh, oh pastor your knees you need to go get new knees you got to go knee replacements and I say I already have my knees on order. <laughs> and they're coming. As soon as I get to the other side and the trumpets sound and the Lord returns, I got new knees, new body, new everything. I can't wait to get out of this mess. Isn't that good news? He came fully human to redeem us, fully human. But he came as God incarnate. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. If Jesus is born to you, you are born again. And if Jesus is given to you, you are given to him. Is that your truth? That's the gospel. It's that simple. You cry out like the, Pharise- like the tax collector, God be merciful to me. There's nothing for me to, par- I'm not going to parade my tithing. And, 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 my, and my good works, and, and my service, I'm not going to pray. I have nothing to offer. Just be merciful to me. So without stretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Christ says, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you have never surrendered control to Christ, let me make something perfectly clear. Right now is a moment of salvation. Later on today, it may be too late. What do you mean, pastor? The Bible makes it clear. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And none of us know if we'll be here later this afternoon. So right now, in this instant, by way of the Internet, everyone who is watching and everybody who will ever watch, Christ says, come now, before it's too late. Come to Christ. If you've never prayed, we're going to pray in a moment. We're going to pray the simple prayer of the tax collector. That's what we pray. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And if you pray that by grace through faith, salvation is yours this day. And this is something that you will know. That nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, not your sin, not Satan, nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the promise of the good news. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Talk more about that on Christmas Eve. Let us pray, shall we? Father, if there's somebody in here right now or by way of the Internet who has never, ever surrendered control to Christ, never. I ask that they would pray right now with me. I ask everyone who is saved to simply pray the same prayer. Those words should be etched upon our hearts and fixed within our minds. The simple prayer of the tax collector. Pray these words. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. If you prayed that by grace through faith, then salvation is yours today. You can put your doing down for you have trusted in the one who did it all for you. And Lord, for the rest, many who've walked for decades, strengthen all of us in our faith, grow us up into Christ, and use us as instruments of salvation and sanctification in your mighty right hand. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand with us? (music) Thank <music> you.